right, so as the offering plates are going around, I want to go ahead and jump in because we're here. It's the second Sunday of the year, and hopes are still high, right? Some of you, you set your New Year's resolutions, and you're like, that's it. I'm not eating Doritos. I'm not eating Cheetos. I'm not eating... Funyuns, is that just like a southern thing, or do you guys eat Funyuns? Anyone like Funyun people? Oh, we got lots of Funyun people in this service. I did that in the first couple services, and like people are kind of like, eh, kind of. And I'm like, man, I try Funyuns, but like it's like Captain Crunch, isn't it? Like it tears your mouth up. Like your gums are going to be done. Anyway, so back to what I was saying. Like you're hanging tough. You're like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful with my finances. I'm going to keep relationships, but pizza's good, right? Like, we get distracted. Pizza's so good. Sitting on the couch, that's good. Treadmill, bad. Like, so it's hard. The struggle is real. And, I, and some of you, some of you are like, years ago, I stopped with this resolution thing because by March, I forgot what I resolved in the first place. So I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just not doing the New Year res. I'm happy if I can remember to write 2018 instead of 2017. You know, if I can remember the 8 instead of the 7, it's a win. It's a win. And we all know, don't we? We all know that people set these goals, but if you don't change anything in the way that you're living, you're not going to hit those goals. Like, just because two weeks have gone by, and it's not 20, like, we magically changed the calendar doesn't mean that life really changes unless we're intentional with that. Let me slow down just a moment and, again, welcome you all to Woodside Bible Church. Romeo, I am Billy Creech. I'm your interim campus pastor, and it is a joy for me to be here with you over this coming season. We are starting a brand new series today called Into Focus. Into Focus. Now, anytime you see someone who's made a great discovery, either in themselves or within the world, it's normally because they're willing to look at the world differently. Isn't that true? They're willing to examine something from a different perspective. Do you guys know of George Washington Carver? Raise your hands. Most, not all, not everybody. So back in the day, some years ago, I studied this guy. It was incredible. He went to God and said, God, I want to know all the secrets to the universe. I want to know them all. And God said, you can't handle the truth, although he didn't, the movie hadn't come out. So, but basically, he said, he said, no, you're not ready for that, but I'll give you all the secrets to a peanut. A peanut. So he started to, to, to research this peanut, and he found over 200 elements just in the shell and in the nut. And, and by combining them in different ways, he found that there are over 300 uses for the peanut. Not just foods, but oils, paints, ink, soap, shampoo, shaving cream, plastics. The list goes on and on and on. Edison went up to him and said, hey, you and I, joining together, we can change the world. Like we can make the world a whole different place. Ford, Ford started to give him money for his research. Time Magazine in 1941 put him on the cover because of the work he was doing with a peanut. Isn't that incredible? Just willing to look at the world differently with a peanut. We could fast forward and we could go to like to 60 years ago. 60 years ago, 60 years ago, the world's most powerful computer took up an entire office building, didn't it? took a small city to power it, and that computer was not as powerful as the phone in your pocket. Right? The phone in your pocket is more powerful than that great big computer back in the, or we could talk about cell phones. Back when I was in college, way back then, right? Back when I was in college, cell phones were just starting to come. Did anyone have a brick phone? Raise your hand, some of you. So I didn't have the, I wish I would have, just so I could feel cool today. Like, I wish I would have had the Motorola brick phone. I, I opted for the bag phone. 
How cool am I? Yeah, you had one of those? So like a backbone, you put it on your shoulder, you walk into the restaurant. It's mainly, isn't it, like my Prius. And you take the backbone and you put up on the table at the restaurant just in case someone important calls. You're ready at the restaurant. Your backbone is ridiculous. Anyway, the world is a totally different place because people are willing to say, let's look at it a little different. We're, we're open to change. Now, here at the Romeo campus, you've been through a lot of change over the past few years, haven't you? A lot of changes here over the past few, a lot of changes in the past few months. And you can look at the drawings just right outside that wall right there and look at the videos on the screens. God willing, there's a lot more changes coming to the facility over this year, isn't there? Like a lot of changes coming. But that's not really the point, is it? Buildings, things like that. That's, that's not really the point. The point is we have people who have been followers of Jesus for 60 years here. And people who are here at church for the first time today and a whole bunch of us somewhere in between there. We all want to come together to examine the truth of Jesus Christ together. And as you're willing to say, my ears are open, my mind's open, my heart's open, that's that place I think you're going to find that you're transformed. Not Not just changed a little bit, but completely transformed. That brings us to the big idea today. This is the thing. Of everything I say, this is the thing I want you to walk away with. Clarity about Jesus brings true spiritual sight Clarity about Jesus brings true spiritual sight. That's hard, though. I mean, sometimes we get into church, and we talk church, and we all talk church together, and we understand church talk together, but this is not easy, clarity about Jesus, because Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. That makes clarity about Jesus difficult. He was fully man. He was fully God. That makes it difficult. He's the most influential person in the history of the world. That makes it difficult, but When we get this into focus, when we get the truth about Jesus into focus, that's where true change happens. I don't mean the change is like, well, I did really good on my diet for the first 10 days, stepped on the scale, I'm five pounds down. Let's go eat ice cream to celebrate. You know, not not that kind of change in your 10 pounds heavier next week, right? Like that's, it's horrible. That's what we do though. We did good on the diet. Let's eat ice cream. At least that's what I have done. I'm, this is not a confession session. Let's just keep going. (laughs) It's a momentary hype, though, oftentimes, right? But the truth about Jesus, the way that you're transformed in Jesus isn't like that. It's an eternal transformation that happens, and it's freedom that happens in your life today. Let's go ahead and go to our Bibles this morning to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, chapter 8, and what I want you to do, just take your bulletin that you received coming in, put it right there in Mark, because from now pretty much until Easter, we're going to be camped out in the book of Mark. It's going to be a great next season. What we're going to find is Jesus is on a journey. He's going from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Now, I want to help you, because so oftentimes pastors get up, and we talk about different locations in Israel, but we don't oftentimes put up the map, so I'm going to help you always remember where we're talking. Israel's kind of like a, a long rectangle, right? It kind of sits like this, so it's kind of like this. Go see Jesus. There you go. Now you got that. The geography is down. Go see Jesus. Galilee, Samaria, Judea. You're welcome. Now you're going to remember. <laughs> That's how I got through seminary, right there. Go see Jesus. So he's going from Galilee. He's been in the, the northern area of Israel, and he's on his way south. He's on his way down toward Jerusalem. What we're going to look at, we're going to look at two realities this morning. Normally, there's three points. Today, there's just two. Two realities of why clarity about Jesus brings true spiritual sight. And the first is this. Being with Jesus is about transformation. Being with Jesus 
is about transformation. So let's go to the Bible, Mark chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 22. The Word of God says this. It says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I, I see people, but, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And then he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So it seems like a simple story, doesn't it? It seems pretty easy to follow, but there's a twist. We all saw the twist and maybe you asked the question, well, why? Why did Jesus have to touch this man's eyes twice? He didn't have to touch him at all, did he? Jesus can, can speak to Lazarus who's dead in the tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. Dead man walking, right? Lazarus gets up, he walks out of the tomb. Jesus never even had to touch him. He said it. He says to the storm, peace be still, and the storm stops. He doesn't have to touch anything. So why did he have to touch this man twice? Now, there's a lot we could break down. We could spend the next hour picking this apart, but I want to make it real simple. I think he touches man twice for the same reason he does it to you and to me. Two, three, 20, 80, 100 times. The man didn't see clearly yet. And because of his love and his grace, he touched him again. That's what happens to us, isn't it? So what we see is, we see in this passage, the blind man in Bethsaida, it comes at a, a point of transition in Mark. Mark chapter 8, in fact, I just encourage you just to circle that big number 8 in your Bible because that is a point of transition. Up until this point, we've been moving right along and everything starts to change here. Mark starts out with a bang, though. It's like an action movie. Or a cow Amy and I have been watching cowboy movies lately. I don't even know why, like where the cowboy thing came from. But like cowboy movies always start a certain way, right? It never starts with once upon a time. That's not how cow cowboy movies start with the sun at high noon, always high noon. Don't know why, but it's always at high noon, and the guys are sweating, and they got their black cowboy hat on, and he's got his black duster, and he slings it back so his guns are showing, right? And, he's got the, and he scrunches up his face like this, you know, and you got to look tough when you do it. And the shopkeeper, he pulls the shades. Don't know why, because that's not going to stop bullets, but he pulls the shades down anyway, and then he shuts the doors, and he runs inside real fast, and then the, the camera pans to the other guy, and the other guy, he's standing there too, and he's making making faces because the sweat's dripping out, tickles his face, you know, and then he's doing this, and then the music goes, bah, 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 bah. right, that's what happens, that's how Mark starts, I mean, not with the music, but all the rest of it, the, the action and the pace and the power is all there, Mark starts like this, Jesus is tempted, he begins his ministry, he calls his first disciples. He teaches in the synagogue. He heals a man with an unclean spirit. He amazes the crowds. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He heals others with various diseases that same evening. The next day, he gets up early. He goes to a solitary place so that he can pray. And that's chapter one. Isn't that amazing? There's so much pace, so much action, so much power all throughout. My, and it continues this rapid fire pace from chapter one all the way until now. Jesus is walking into the midst of humanity and he's changing their perception of everything, changing the way that they live. But all of a sudden in chapter eight, he slams on the brakes and he switches the focus. He switches direction right here in chapter eight. 
And he starts to focus on the disciples. Again, they've been up in Galilee. Go see Jesus. They've been in Galilee. They're starting the journey down toward Jerusalem, which means they're starting the journey down toward the cross. And it's that journey down toward the cross that he starts to focus more, I really would say, on the blindness of the disciples. He starts to focus on their blind. Yes, they're still teaching to crowds, and yes, he still heals others throughout this process, but you see a very clear focus on the teaching to the disciples starting in chapter 8 and moving forward. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to your Bible. Chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 14. Verse 14 takes place right after Jesus has fed 4,000 with some loaves of bread. This is different than the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000 with some loaves and fish, there were 5,000. This day, there were 4,000, and then Jesus gets into a boat with the disciples. Look at verse 14. It says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have, look at verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you see that? Having eyes, do you not see? So the disciples, they get into the boat with Jesus, and they're worried about dinner. Like, they're worried about we need something to eat. And so Jesus starts to redirect them, doesn't he? Jesus starts to redirect them, and he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. The Pharisees, they, they represented the religious elite, didn't they? Herod, he, he represented the political elite. And Jesus says, you need to watch out. Leaven, leaven just takes a little bit, right? Just a little bit of yeast. Just a little bit of yeast in your bread is going to quickly spread through the whole batch. And it doesn't take long, right? Of course, he's talking about corruption, Jesus is talking about sin, and in this moment, he's giving them a fresh call to faith. They were with Jesus, but he's giving them a fresh call to faith. You know, even if you've been in church a long time or a short time, we all need fresh calls to faith, don't we? We all need reminders in our faith journey. So the disciples, Jesus is trying to, to get them to have this fresh call to faith, but they're having this like squirrel kind of a moment. They're having this moment. They've seen Jesus do the unthinkable. They've seen him feed 4,000. They've seen him feed 5,000. They've seen him bring the dead back to life. They've seen everything. And in this moment, they're so consumed with, with, with where's the bread? Where's the food? We don't have enough, right? We have 13 of us. One loaf is not enough for 13 people. What are we going to do? And that's why Jesus gets frustrated. He gets really frustrated. Look what he says. His word says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not get it? Don't you understand? Are, are your hearts hardened to who I am? Like, do you, do you not understand? And then he says, having eyes, do you not see? You have eyes and you see, but, but you clearly don't see like you're supposed to. You need to refocus. Like the man in Bethsaida who said, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I, I see, but I don't see clearly. I don't see like I'm supposed to see. And Jesus, I think, really takes from this moment and then through the next two chapters and really tries to teach them and equip them to get rid of the spiritual blindness that they have. I don't, I don't think, though, this is something just the disciples faced 2,000 years ago. 
I think it's something we face today. In fact, I would say of all the things I've seen experienced in church over the past 20-some years, I think the number one thing that's most heartbreaking to me is how many people are in the church and spiritually blind. You've probably seen it, right? I'm sure you have. You've seen the people who have said things like, well, I mean, I, I, I get the Jesus thing. I've been to church. I've read the Bible. I mean, I've prayed. I just, Jesus doesn't work for me. You ever heard that? Or something like that? Here's normally how the story goes. The story normally goes, I mean, Jesus was my mom's thing or my dad's thing or grandma's or grandpa's or, or my friends. Or, and so I went to church. But what I do is I would, I would work or go to school Monday through Thursday. And then on the weekend, I kind of had my, my weekend thing I would do. Maybe on Sunday, I would try to give Jesus a shot. You know, I'd give an hour or two to church and I'd start it all over again. It just seemed like the pattern just went and went and went. But I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't get the Jesus thing. I love you, and I know that this doesn't sound inspirational right now, but if that's you, you're spiritually blind. It's the same as saying I see people, but they look like trees walking. I I don't see clearly. I don't see like I'm supposed to. My hope is today. My hope is today that changes for you. It completely changes. So here's the disciples. You you would have hoped that Peter or John, probably one of those two, maybe James, would have said, hey, guys, Jesus is in the boat. We're okay. We're worried about dinner snacks right now, but we're going to be all right. Jesus has got this. Like, if he can make thousands of loaves of bread appear, we're going to be okay. Yeah, that's what you would hope, but they didn't do that. They were so locked in on the bread when the bread wasn't really the issue at all, was it? It was all about Jesus. It was always about Jesus, but they were consumed with the wrong thing. And I know we're gluten-free right now, you know, with the new year. We're all gluten-free, like I get it, but... Um, like I ask you, what's, what's your loaf of bread right now? What's the loaf of bread in your life? What, what's the thing in your life that you are so fixated on that that you're missing Jesus? What's the thing where, where you are so locked in to that thing that you're not worshiping the Lord your God? What, what is it for you? I mean, you got to be honest to answer that question. We don't, we don't like being honest. Being honest is hard. Being honest with ourselves is hard. Being honest with God it's hard, but what's your loaf of bread? The blind man at Bethsaida, he was honest. That would have been so hard, right? It would have been. I think it would have been easier. Honestly, I think the expectation today, if it was me or you, maybe, probably, if God said, you know, I'm spitting on your eyes, I'm clearing them, how do you see? I think we would have went, oh, man, Jesus, I see great. Like, I see so crystal clear, you don't even know. Shoot, Jesus, there's people out there. I'm good, thank you, because, here's why, here's why. Because we would have heard about Jesus already, right? We know that Jesus is not successful six out of ten times. He doesn't say, Lazarus, come forth. Man, he might come forth, he might not. We just don't know what's going to happen. No, we know he's a man of power and authority. We know that Jesus is a man of power and authority, and when he speaks, it is true, and it's going to take place. So think how scary it would have been when Jesus said, what do you see? And all of a sudden, he opened his eyes and thought, I don't see like I think I'm supposed to see. He had to have thought, I'm I'm the one that doesn't work on. I'm so messed up. Even Jesus, Jesus can't do something about me. You ever felt like that? so messed up not even Jesus can do anything about this but he was honest he was honest in that moment he said Jesus I I see people but they look like trees walking and so Jesus touched him again 
What's the loaf of bread in your life? What is that? Be real with yourself this morning. So we want clarity, right? We want clarity about Jesus. The second point I want to make is being transformed also requires knowledge. Look back at your Bible. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples. So he's continuing this journey. Galilee, Samaria, Judea. He's continuing this journey from Galilee on his way south toward Jerusalem. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them, not to tell anyone. So if this was a play, if Mark was a play, Act 1 is everything that's happened before chapter 8, verse 27. Act 2 is everything after. So Jesus has been doing these works, and the people are talking. We know that they're talking. We know that they're asking this question, because if you go back in your Bible to Mark chapter 4, in fact, you can turn there if you want, Mark chapter 4, verse 41, Jesus just finished calming the storm, and look what the disciples themselves said. Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? So they're asking. And for four chapters, Mark hasn't given us the answer. Who is this? Who is this guy? Where did this power, where did this authority come from? Who is this? They've been asking for four chapters who this is. And Mark hasn't told us until now. Listen again. Jesus says, on the way, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? This is the moment. Like, this is, the, this is the apex right here. This is the game changer. And they told him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, others one of the prophets. Now, John the Baptist, that's his cousin. John the Baptist had already been beheaded by Herod at this point. He was dead. He was gone. Elijah, Elijah wasn't dead because he went to heaven in a fiery chariot in the Old Testament, right? So there was, but there, he was still gone. He's been long gone. Essentially, what the people were saying is, we believe you're someone from Israel's distant or recent past who is endowed by God with incredible power and word and deed. They, they kind of saw who he was, but it wasn't clear. It's like people who are like trees walking, right? We kind of see, but it's not really in focus. Because, yes, Jesus was given power by God in word and deed. That's true. The rest of it is not true. And that's when Peter, ready, fire, aim, Peter, Peter gets so excited. He jumps up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I know, and this is the first time that's happened. And, and here's what's interesting. I think that always before when I've preached this passage, I look at it and I'm like, so Peter nailed it. And today I'm going to tell you, no, he really didn't. He kind of nailed it. He some nailed it. He didn't totally nail it. He didn't, he didn't all the way nail it. It was like I see people like trees walking. He sort of got it. Because you see, up until this point, here's why I say that. And, and it's going to be cleared up next week. We're going to talk about this passage some more. And you'll see what I'm talking about. But up until this point, to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people, they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Christ. But church, what, what did that mean? You see, to us, we equate that with the cross, don't we? We look at the cross and we think about the cross and we think Jesus Christ, we think paid the price for our sins on the cross. There was no cross for them. 
So when they hear Christ, when they hear Messiah, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking someone who's going to come and rule with might and power and glory in God's name. That's what we're waiting for. Really, you could say they were a lot like the Romans, just the Romans had Caesar. They were waiting for their Caesar. And so when Peter said, you're the Christ, what he's thinking is you're the one who's going to be a political ruler or a military ruler. And he was close, but he missed it. You see, what we needed wasn't a prophet. It wasn't a teacher. It wasn't a good man. And I think that's where we have to clarify what does it mean for him to be the Christ. I think what the people said 2,000 years ago is the same thing that they say today. I think if you ask people, so what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus? There's a lot of people who will say, I, I think Jesus, he taught some great principles to live by. You know, he's a good moral person. And if that's what we needed, if we needed to know good moral principles, God just would have sent a teacher, right? There's some people who would say, well, I think Jesus, you know, he was a prophet. He came speaking about the ways of God. You know, because here's God's ways, here's our ways. We need to align our ways with God's ways. If we needed that, if we needed alignment, then God would have sent a prophet. And this is the difficult thing this morning. We didn't need that. We needed saved. We needed rescued. Because our sin separated us from God. We needed a Messiah. And that's why he sent Jesus as the Christ. I think today, I think that place of really saying, I understand what it means to be a sinner. Again, if we're being intellectually, being honest is hard, but if we're intellectually honest with ourselves, if we're emotionally honest with ourselves, that's hard to do. It's hard to admit, I am a sinner and I need a savior. That's hard to do. I remember uh, back in seminary, seminary is graduate school for pastors, and um, Gabe wasn't born yet. My youngest son wasn't born yet. My oldest son, I think when we moved, he was one or two, but this event happened when he was three. He was three years old at the time, and we lived in seminary housing. That's right across the street from the seminary, and it smells and feels just like what you would think seminary housing would smell and feel like. like it's just dirty. Like you would vacuum it and walk across the floor and your feet would still get dirty. Like it was that. But we were so thankful for it because Amy was teaching full-time to pay for me to go to seminary. I was working as a youth pastor, and we were just working our way through, right, getting it done. And um, Ian, you know, he's just a little guy having a good time. But we didn't have money. Like, like we had no Money And I remember how hard it was just to get the $500 deposit to pay so that we could be in seminary housing. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was hard. But we needed that $500 because that's the money we were going to use to buy suitcases so that we could pack our belongings and move overseas as missionaries. So that, that's just kind of where we were in the world. And um, I remember one day I walked in. And when I walked in, I walked down the hallway and Ian, Ian had gone Picasso on the wall. You, know, you ever been there? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, he had just gone to town. Oh, he, I'm sure he thought it was beautiful. You know, he was just, he was creating a work of art on the wall. And um, I remember my stomach just dropping, thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Like, I don't, our budget is so, I don't, I, don't, I don't have money to go buy paint and repaint this thing. I can't afford to lose that deposit. We have to have the deposit. 
So I yelled at Ian, and I'm thinking it's the middle name too. So it's probably like, Ian Shiloh, get down here. And so down the stairs he runs into there. He's like, yes, your dad. You know, he's so excited to see me. And I'm like, what is this? You know, when the dog messes on the floor, you use that voice. You do it with your kids too when you're like, what? And so, you know, I was mad, and I was thinking being more emphatic like that is going to help him understand that I'm mad. So what is this? And I'm sure he said something so intelligent like, I don't know. You know, what kids say when they're like, I'm in trouble, so anything I say is wrong. So I got the I don't know. And so I started to lecture him, and the tears started to pour down his face. I started to lecture him about how, son, what you just did is going to cost us. Don't you understand that? We can't, we can't lose our deposit. We can't lose $500. Do you, do you know what that means? Son, I don't have $60. I don't, I don't have 10 extra dollars now. Like, we just don't have margin. I don't have $60 to go buy paint to repaint these hallways. What are you thinking? Like, I mean, I was just going at him. But then something hit me. What hit me was he, he can't. He's three. He can't understand. If I offer him a $20 bill or 20 pennies, he's taking the 20 pennies because that's more, right? He just he has no concept of money. So church, I got down on my knee at that point, and I looked my son in the eye, and I said, I said, son, daddy's going to fix this, because you can't. You don't understand what it's going to cost, but dad will fix it. Just don't ever, ever, ever do it again. And I think sometimes what happens is we go to God, and we look at our sin like it's markers on the wall. I think we just run to him, just kind of like, yeah, Dad, what is it? And the background is the cross. He's saying, you don't understand what it's going to cost to make this right. You cannot possibly comprehend what it's really going to cost. But I'm going to fix it because you can't. I'm going to do what you can't do. I don't know what that loaf of bread is in your life, but I can promise you it's not worth it. It's not worth fixating on whatever that thing is. Maybe the bread for you is, is your health. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's finances. Maybe, I don't, I don't know what it is. You do. You answer the question in your heart just a little bit. You know what the obstacle is to you keeping your eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith. You know what that obstacle is. Or maybe for you, you've never opened your eyes to the reality of who Christ is in the first place. And today is that wake-up call for you. Today is the day that you say, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. Will you bow your heads with me? I think we have, um, again, I, I think there's three groups in the room. I, I think we have one group where the truth is for you, things are going great. Things are going so good right now. Your spiritual life is healthy. You're spending your time in prayer like you're supposed to. Really, you don't have that loaf of bread. Your focus is where it's supposed to be. If that's you, will you just pray alongside me right now? Because I know we have a lot of people in this room who are dealing with all kinds of things. So just join me in prayer right now. If you're that person where when I mentioned the loaf of bread, you knew I was talking to you. I just want you to take this these next few moments and really use them as a time of reflection and prayer and just get that thing out of your life. Just surrender that to the Lord this morning. You're not supposed to carry that around. Jesus came so that you could be free. 
not so that you are in bondage to sin or stain or shame or, or guilt or whatever that loaf of bread is for you. And then for that other group, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. There's never been a better day. There's never been a better day to say, Lord, my eyes are open. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. Lord, our obstacles change. Our, our challenges change. The stuff that we fixate on, it changes. It may not be a loaf of bread for us today, but there are things that we fixate on. So Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters in Christ in this room who have been so distracted, who are in that place of frustration saying, I don't want to be there anymore. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that they're able to do business with you right now to refocus their hearts, to come to that place like Isaiah where they're able to say, I, I saw the Lord seated on his throne high and exalted. Let this be that day for them. Lord, continue to give us freedom because of the cross this morning. And Lord, for those individuals who have never placed their faith in you, I pray for this to be that quiet moment where they can say, God, I love you. And I thank you for loving me first. And Lord, I'm sorry because I know I've sinned and I've tried to run right past that for my whole life. But today I'm going to slam on the brakes and just admit that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry that I've sinned. I know I need saved. I know I need rescued. Thank you. Thank you for doing the unimaginable. Jesus, I thank you for living a perfect, perfect and sinless life. And I believe, I believe that you lived, that you were crucified on a cross. That you paid the price for me, that you were placed in a tomb. But Jesus, I believe that on the third day you conquered sin and death and rose again. And I am placing my faith and my hope and my trust in that truth. And I want to thank you for being my Lord and my Savior today. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, will you stand as we worship together?